The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. Um, our scripture reading for today is Matthew 7, verses 13 through 14. Matthew 7, verses 13 through 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. To invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7 if you have not done so already. Uh, we are, as of today, reaching the concluding section of the Sermon on the Mount. So we've got roughly four sermons left. And the reason for that is because Jesus concludes the Sermon on the Mount, you'll see right here, with four vignettes, four pictures, if you will. And these pictures one of the first things they do is they remind us of the kind of literature that the sermon is. Eschatological wisdom literature. I wonder how many of you remember that from all the way back near the beginning when we were talking about what kind of literature the sermon is. It's wisdom literature. Wisdom literature you're familiar with through Proverbs and through wisdom psalms like Psalm 1. Wisdom literature is constantly setting before us two ways to live. Wisely and foolishly. It's not just wisdom literature, though. It's also eschatological literature, which comes from the Greek word eschatos, which means last or end. Eschatological literature has to do with the last things, has to do with the end, when Christ will come and make all things new. Lord, may it be so quickly. So if we put those things together, eschatological wisdom literature aims to reveal the wise way to live in light of how things will end. And is that not what Jesus has been doing throughout the entire Sermon on the Mount? He has been laying out for us what life in his kingdom looks like. And over and over again, he's shown us that in the here and now, life in his kingdom, life his way, looks foolish in the eyes of the world. But in the end, he's promised it will prove to be wise. The way of the world will prove to be foolish. Jesus has, has consistently laid out before us two ways to live. And now, at the conclusion, he calls for our response. And here's the deal, Shades. We will respond. Like as we sat here and we've heard the words of the Sermon on the Mount, you cannot not respond to this. It's impossible not to. Because as you hear these words, you either believe Jesus or you don't. You follow him or you don't. You embrace him or you don't. You can't not do one of those two things. And that's what Jesus is confronting us with right here in these concluding four pictures. He shows us two ways, and we must take one. He shows us two teachers, and we must follow one. He shows us two claims, and we must make one. And he shows us two foundations, and we must build our lives on one. Shades, Sermon on the Mount 
has laid out before us two ways to live, and it concludes by asking us, which way will we take? Which way do we actually truly believe is the wise way? This morning, Jesus confronts us with that question, calls for our response, and he does it through the first of his four concluding pictures. That's all we're going to look at. See it with me, the first of his four concluding pictures, Matthew 7, verses 13 to 14. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So Jesus' first concluding picture right here is quite literally of two ways. And what he's doing is he's aiming for us to see the difference between the wise way and the foolish way by contrasting them. There's actually four different points of contrast between these two ways. Let's take them one at a time. First contrast, number one, two gates, wide and narrow. You see that? You see it at the beginning of both of these verses. Look at the beginning of verse 13. The gate is wide. The beginning of verse 14, the gate is narrow. We're being confronted with two gates, two gates that are going to lead onto two different paths. And we're being asked basically, which one will we enter? It's clear which one Jesus wants us to enter. He makes it clear with his first words in verse 13, enter by the narrow gate. But I got to be honest, wide gate looks better. It looks wiser anyway. I mean, it's wide. Like, like, The idea here, that imagery, is supposed to mean the gate looks much more inviting. Because entering it is is easier. I mean, I I really can enter it in, in my own way. I can enter it over here, or I can enter it over here. Or I can do my spin move and, like, enter it over here. It's it's almost like a choose-your-own-adventure invitation. But the narrow gate? It seems really limiting. And we're meant to feel that. A literal translation of the opening of verse 14 would actually be an exclamation. It would sound something like, how narrow the gate. How narrow, like, like how uninviting. I can only get in one way, right here. One narrow, itty-bitty entry point. No other way onto this path. And confronted with these choices, which one will you take? Which one looks wise? And which looks foolish? So one day this past week, Holly and I were sitting in our uh, bedroom just talking. And we have two windows in our bedroom. And through the window on the front of the house, we hear it open. Our blinds are down. And something starts pushing on the blinds. And we see one of our children, who shall remain unnamed, awkwardly climbing through our bedroom window into the house. And of course, Holly and I are like, what are you doing? And this child told us, well, the front door was locked. We're like, there's two other doors into the house, both of which were unlocked, by the way. I know, I checked. Basically, we were saying those doors, those wide entrances would obviously be easier than this narrow window. Wider looks wiser. 
And if we're honest, Shades, that's not just true of windows and doors. It's true of the gates right here in Matthew 7. The gates that we're confronted with in our lives. The wider one looks wiser. At least that's what the world says because the wide gate is theirs. These, these gates, these gates are obviously metaphorical images. Jesus is giving us basically a small parable right here. He's going to do that over and over and over again throughout these concluding pictures and vignettes. He's going to use pictures, images. And these gates, they're images for entry points into two ways of life. The wide gate is wide because it includes every way of life in the world. Every possible way of doing this life, building your life, living your life, believing. It includes every possible way of life, except one. Except one, the way of Christ He is the narrow gate. John 10, 7. He's the narrow gate. He is the only way to to enter into the life of his kingdom that he's been laying out right here in the Sermon on the Mount. What kind of fool would do that? What kind of fool would enter in and follow him, especially after hearing everything that he's laid out right here in the Sermon on the Mount? I mean, the wide gate? Literally, every other way of life is how you enter there. It's like, Pick your own path. Choose your own adventure. Be your own king. Choose your own destiny. Mix and match your own religion or philosophy of life. Define love, life, meaning, purpose, however you want to. Live for whatever you want. Money, sex, power, politics, pleasure, success, popularity. Like the gate could not be wider. The gate couldn't look any wiser. Are you really going to choose the narrow gate of Christ? Are are you really going to stake your life on the claims of the Bible, an ancient book that most people think is rather oppressive and claims to be God's word? Are you really going to live in line with something so narrow? Are you really going to dedicate your life to following a dead Jewish rabbi that, yeah, some people claim rose from the grave. What a crazy claim is that? And then he claims to be the only way to true life now and true life forever. How narrow is the gate? And it couldn't look any more foolish. Shades, if we're honest, that feels even more true when we see not the, the narrow gate seems foolish, the wide gate seems wise. That seems even more true, not just when we see the contrast between the gates, but when we see the contrast between the ways to which they lead. This is the second contrast we need to see. Two ways. Easy and hard. Two ways. Easy and hard. Again, look at verse 13. For the gate is wide and the way is easy. And then verse 14, how narrow the gate and the way is hard. So not only does the wide gate look wiser because it's more inviting, but it looks wiser because it leads on to a way that is easy. Greek word for easy right here is eurukaros, which is fun to say. It literally has to do with comfort. Like, it, it's another synonym for, for wide. It means spacious, something comfortable, something roomy. Like, think, think exit aisle on the airplane. 
Or think like uh, the, the row at the theater where there's no chairs in front of you, just that bar that you can prop your feet up on. Like spacious. It's, it's better than all the other seats. It's spacious. It's wide. It's comfortable. It's, it's roomy. That's what this way is like. At least that's what it looks like. It looks like the way to the comfortable, easy, good life. Not because it actually is shades. But it looks that way. Why does it look that way? Because most people says it is the way. Most people say it's the way to the comfortable, easy, good life. It looks like the easy way because it's been voted that way thousands of years running by vote of popularity. Like what makes the easy way look easy is its popularity. If you don't believe me just yet, I think that becomes even clearer when we contrast it with the way of Jesus, which lies through the narrow gate. That way looks hard. The Greek word for hard right there is flibo, which again, fun to say, doesn't sound nearly as serious as it is. It literally refers to something being crushed or or compressed. It is often used to mean oppression, affliction, and persecution. In other words, what makes the way of Jesus hard is not that following Jesus is hard. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. What makes the way of Jesus hard is not Jesus, but the fact that that way is rejected and opposed by the rest of the world. It's not. What makes it hard is it's not the popular way. It's the way of persecution. Jesus has been telling us that since the beginning of his sermon. Matthew 5 and verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad because your reward is great in heaven. In other words, rejoice and be glad because you are on the narrow way. And yes, it is hard. Yes, Jesus said, you're going to stick out like salt and light in a dark and tasteless world. Yes, you're going to be rejected and you're still going to be called to turn the other cheek and forgive and love your enemies. Yes, you could lose all of the earthly treasures of this world and you could even lose your life. That definitely makes this way look foolish. But Jesus promises that in the end, this will be revealed to be the way of wisdom. Do you believe him? Can you stare down that way and believe him? Or will you go the only other way there is to go, the way of the world? Because everybody else besides Jesus says that is the wise way. I mean, isn't that, isn't that like easy to see because of the fact that it lacks persecution and it has massive popularity? That's precisely what we see in the third contrast. Number three, two fellowships, many and few. Two fellowships traveling down these roads together. Yeah, I chose fellowship not because it's like a good biblical word, but because it makes me think fellowship of the ring. But that's beside the point. (laughs) Two fellowships, many and few. Look at the end of verse 13. Here we see the popularity of the wide way. Those who enter by it are many. 
What does the end of verse 14 say about the narrow way? Those who find it. Because after all, Jesus told us to seek and find. Those who find it are few. So I don't know about you, but I never got invited to parties in high school. I know y'all find that really hard to believe. Uh, But I actually would tell my friends not to invite me. I would tell them that, and I I literally, like I said this, I would say, don't invite me to your party because my mama talks to Jesus and he tells her where I've been. I believed that. I still believe that, Shades. Like, I cannot get away with anything. It's been a great grace of God on my life. But here's the deal. Even though I didn't go to parties, like, I I seriously, I always wondered why my friends who did party, like, what, what? I was like, why do y'all do this? Because while I wasn't there for the party, I was there for what happened afterwards. I was there for the hangovers. I was there for the puking. I was there for the arrests. It didn't look to me like the easy way. But Shades, what makes the easy way easy is not its content, but its fellowship. It's popularity. It makes you feel like you fit in, like you're accepted, like you're loved, like you're praised. Shades, we have seen, that's not, that's not new, it's always been that way. Have we not seen throughout the Sermon on the Mount, the primary version of the wide gate that we've seen here, the easy way, has been the way of the Pharisees. And what made their way easy was not its content. The teaching of the Pharisees was not easy. Jesus describes it in Matthew 23 and verse 4 like this. They tie up heavy burdens that are hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders. That's a long way from Jesus' easy yoke and light burden. Like what made the Pharisees' way easy was not its content, but its popularity. Is that not what we've seen? That they did what they did to be praised by the surrounding society. The way we saw the way they related to the word, the way they related to worship, the way they related to the world was all for personal pleasure and public praise. And other people wanted in on that. We still do. That's what makes the way of Jesus so hard because he calls us not to the way of the many, but to the way of the few, to the way that looks like the way of the fool. He calls us to the way that says, blessed are the poor in spirit and the persecuted, to the way that says, turn the other cheek and love your enemies, to the way that says, don't lay up earthly treasures, but seek first Christ's kingdom. And oh, by the way, if you do that, you could lose all earthly treasure and you could even get killed. Who wants that? Who would ever want to relate to the word, to worship, or to the world in a way that brings personal pain and public shame? Like it's, No wonder why this way is followed by so few. It looks like the way of the fool, unless. Unless there is one more contrast. One more contrast that that changes everything. One more contrast that has to do with where these two ways end. Fourth, finally, fourth contrast, two destinations. Destruction. And life. Two destinations, destruction 
and life. Let's read the entire passage one more time. Matthew 7, starting in verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard. That leads to life. And those who find it are few. you've been with us throughout our entire time walking through the Sermon on the Mount, you know that one of the primary themes that we've just seen over and over again is that of the external versus the internal. In other words, the way things seem on the surface versus the way things really are. We saw that theme primarily recurring through the scribes and the Pharisees, who externally seemed to be all about the glory of God. But we know internally they were all about their own glory. And we see this theme again right here at the end of the sermon. Jesus is helping, to, he's, he's aiming, he's aiming to help us see that things are not always what they seem. Like with these, these two gates, two ways, Two fellowships, two destinations. He's, he's aiming to help us see externally the wide gate with its easy way that's popular because it seems wise. And the narrow gate with its hard, persecuted way that seems to be found only by a few fools. It's what things look like externally. But Jesus is, is telling us, don't, don't just see the external. No, Jesus says, see the eternal. See where these two ways end. That's what reveals which way is truly wise and which is truly foolish. Eschatological wisdom literature aims to reveal the wise way in light of the end. This is what Jesus has been doing throughout the sermon. It's what he does right here in his conclusion. Jesus is lovingly, shades, lovingly. He is lovingly confronting us with the question of which way we will take. And I say, I stress, I stress that he is doing this lovingly. I say this is a loving confrontation because all of his words right here are aimed to lovingly reveal the wise way that leads to life. Even his words about destruction, even those are loving words. They're loving words because he's showing us, first of all, what's logically true. These two gates, they lead in two ways. They head in opposite directions. If you take the way that leads away from life, that logically only goes to one place. You walk away from life, you walk away from the God who created life, the God who sustained life, you rebel against him and go in the opposite direction. Logically, that ends in one place. You walk away from life, that ends in death. There's nowhere else to go but death and destruction. But that's not just logically true. No, Jesus is also simultaneously showing us a loving truth. This is a loving truth. It is a loving truth that the wide road ends in destruction. What do I mean by that? I mean that is a loving truth because it's the truth that God will one day remove everything that has rebelled against his creation. That's a loving truth. We call that truth we call that removal death, judgment, destruction. And it is a loving truth shades that Christ one day will remove everything that has rebelled against him. That is a loving truth. 
I don't know about you, I need that truth, Shades. I, I need to know that there is a day that comes when wars cease. Ukraine needs to know that gospel. I need to know that there is a day that comes when mass shootings and children dying are at a permanent, final end. Evaldi needs that gospel shades. I need, I need to know that a day comes when my Jewish Messiah, Jesus, lays white supremacy and racism in an eternal grave. Buffalo needs that gospel shades. I need to know that there is a day on its way when religious leaders who abuse the vulnerable will be held accountable and wish, wish that it was by millstones hung around their neck and cast into the sea. I need, we need, the world needs that day. We pray for it. At the heart of the sermon, Jesus taught us to pray for that day. Father who in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Don't let the wide way continue forever. Bring it to an end. Destruction, death, remove it. I need that day. And I'm not saying that I need that day because I need a day of revenge. None of us need a day of revenge. We need a day of justice. We need a day when justice rolls down like waters, washing away everything that is wrong and renewing and redeeming everything that is right. We need a day when evil will be destroyed and death itself will be swallowed up in destruction. And I know, Shades, I know that on that day, I deserve to be swallowed up in destruction too. All of us do. And that's what makes Jesus' concluding confrontation right here one of love. Because even though I deserve to be left alone on the wide way of the world, even though I deserve death, all his words right here are aimed at shaking us and waking us and calling us to life. All of his words are aimed at lovingly revealing the wise way, the true way, no matter what it looks like right now, the wise way that leads to life. Can you hear him lovingly pleading with you at the beginning of verse 13? Enter by the narrow gate. Enter by the narrow gate. I've poured out my heart in the Sermon on the Mount and I'm grabbing you by your shoulders and I'm shaking you. Enter by the narrow gate. Like, I don't care. Jesus is saying, I don't, I don't care. I don't care what things look like externally to you right now. I love you and I want you to see the truth of where these ways end eternally. And that wide, popular way that looks so easy, it ends in destruction. It ends in death, eternal death. Jesus tells us that lovingly. It's just... It's just like my mama used to say. My mama's getting a lot of airtime today. It's just like my mama used to say to me, if all your friends were jumping off a bridge, would you go jump off with them? Basically, she's saying, I don't care how popular the wide, easy way is. It ends in destruction, Jonathan. My mom was lovingly confronting me because she wanted to lead me to life. Shades in a greater way. In a greater way, Jesus is doing the same. Enter by the narrow gate. John 10, 7 says he is that gate. And shades, he has 
opened that gate, opened himself up. Literally, Hebrews 10 and verse 20 says he opened the way to God through opening his own flesh. Like opening up a veil, like opening up a gate. He opened himself up on the cross, opened the gate of himself, and he, he walked the hard way, the hard way of rejection and persecution. And there were not a few that could do what he did. There was only one, him. He alone could go down into death and conquer it so that the end of the narrow way would be life. He alone could do that. And it is, it is life. Shades for all who enter in through him. Shades will you enter in. Jesus is the gate. John 10, 7. Jesus is the way. John 14, 6. We walk with him through this life in fellowship with him. 1 John 1, 3. And he brings us safely all the way to the end where he will be our life forever. Colossians 3 and verse 4. Shades. Jesus is the wise way. No matter how foolish it looks in this life. 1 Corinthians 1.18 For the word of the cross is folly, foolishness, to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Verse 25, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man. Shades. Through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has laid out before us, before you, two ways. And now he confronts us with the question, which one will we take? Which one will you believe is wise? I plead along with Jesus, enter by the narrow gate.